Um, right. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing very well, my friend. Ah, that is exactly what I like to hear. Mate, I am not going to waste a second of this precious time I have with you today. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to anyone that doesn't know who you are, but everyone should because it's important when you're getting information and you know, you're getting it from credible sources and you can get people that have PhDs and really focus on the theory. Um, you can get it from people that are opened in down in the trenches and working with clients every single day. Um, they both work, but they obviously both have their limitations. And the beautiful thing about talking to someone like you is you're doing both. You've done both. You have put in the time to get your theoretical application high and under really get a deep in understanding of everything that you do and then applying it to hundreds of athletes creating unbelievable physiques with a signature bk conditioning it's unbelievable to watch and not only are you coaching people to an incredible standard you are also yourself an icn world pro champion which in my personal opinion is one of one of the greatest achievements in australian natural bodybuilding um so it's an absolute pleasure to have you on mate and i'm going to be picking your brain pretty hard so welcome to the show brandon <laughs> well mate thank you very much for uh granting me the opportunity to come on board mate i've always uh, you know i'm all for sharing some knowledge um, and hopefully yourself uh, slash the listeners can uh, you know take away some some golden nuggets from uh, our conversation today. Oh, absolutely. So before we get into the nitty gritty, because who I want this particular podcast to be for, uh, I, I want the people that are feeling a little bit lost when it comes to their competition standpoint at the moment, because obviously yourself, it's been, mm -hmm. you've been taking on purely physique athletes uh, for quite some time. So I want to be talking to those people and make sure you give some val um, value to them. But I also want someone who has done the both ends of the spectrum, you know, someone that's gone down right to the world champions and, and before that to, I, to, you know, break down what we should be focusing on here. Yeah, 100%. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll definitely do my best to, to give as much depth on that side of things. I think it's a pretty interesting time at the moment. And as you mentioned, a lot of people are sort of, uh, particularly I think across the board, but definitely in physique sports are a little bit lost. So to offer some, some direction and some insight and hopefully some practical application, I think will go a long way for a lot of people. Beautiful. All right. Well, let's talk about you, mate. So what drives your particular love for bodybuilding? Why do you do it? Why do you enjoy working with people that are in that space? Talk to me. Yeah, look, I mean, look, bodybuilding obviously is a, is a true passion of mine. Obviously, these days it's also uh, what I do from the perspective of employment. But obviously, before I was a coach, I was an athlete. So, you know, my love for bodybuilding really started, um, you know, when I was a teenager, you know, just trained with weights, etc. Um, and then essentially, I got to a certain point where I just decided, you know, what I've got this piece of canvas that is my physique. Let's uh, see what we can do in terms of creating the most extreme level of body composition manipulation possible and at that point you know I didn't go into my first show with the intention or thought process of winning or anything like that my goal was simply just to take this canvas that I have and see what I can do and over the years I realized okay I really enjoy this more than anything in this universe and on top of that I'm actually pretty good at this let's see how far we can take it but uh, it really started from a real sort of point of uh, central motivation of just you know, my hyper-analytical mind and my, my love for physical activity and seeing, you know, kind of what we can do with that. 
Yeah, for yeah. sure. Do you plan on doing this very long term? Is this something you see yourself doing for the next 30 years? I would hope to. You know, I think... You can do for as many ways you can approach your training, wear and tear and joint strike. Um, and, you know, for me, I don't think my love for bodybuilding is going to dim anytime soon. So I do plan to do this for as long as I possibly can. I predict, obviously, uh, as I go make my way into old age, there'll come a time where perhaps I'm not as competitive, but my love for it, I think, you know, will, will remain in place. So I'll continue to do it for as absolute, you know, long as I can. Yeah, for sure. And I'm definitely in the same boat there. It's something that you fall in love with the process of, and it's something that you just enjoy going to every day. And it's a bit of your safe haven, which I think a lot of people forget. Absolutely. It's a really, uh, I think that training, it's so important that you enjoy the, the, the process as much as the progress. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it's a point of real enjoyment. And, and training is more than just the action of, you know, lifting weights or the, the result that, that the action of lifting weights induces. There's also, you know, a psychological process that we really enjoy within that. And I think that's what affords us the capacity to do this in a longitudinal manner. And on top of that, it's probably uh, one of the challenging things that I think a lot of people are struggling with right now without, you know, without having gym access as well. I think, I think that's what people are struggling with completely. I think it's totally psychological. And, you know, that's what this is really tackling at the moment. And it's just making sure and reassuring people that, you know, there are ways to progress. There are ways to turn this into a positive. And it's just going to be about changing your perspective on it and how you actually take out some of these some of these things that you were doing 100 100 so talk to me a little bit more about your signature bk conditioning and the difference that you have with yourself and your clients that is separating you and creating just world-class um athletes and physiques <laughs> sure i mean i should i should probably start by giving a bit of a uh, bit of context as to where the sort of you know bk conditioning come from i mean it started from a really organic place in that I, uh, a series of years ago when I just started sort of breaking into working with physique athletes, I took a, a group, of, a small group of people to a show and we finished up at a show and we, we won a couple of overalls. It was a fantastic show and these guys said, yep, you know, these other guys got conditioning but they don't have that BK conditioning and that name just stuck. Um, and realistically in natural bodybuilding, the majority of the progression of our sport as a whole across the past 10 years really comes down to conditioning in that, you know, we're, we're somewhat limited in terms of our capacity to get bigger in that, you know, we're, we're, we're really maxing out what we're doing from a training perspective and, of course, within the limitations of one's genetics, etc. But the conditioning side of things has really progressed massively over the years and something that, from my perspective as a coach and an athlete, that I've really endeavoured to be at the forefront of over the past uh, series of years and I'm, I'm really pleased to say that we've, we've been able to do that um, over the years and essentially what what we're going for here is obviously that um, extreme level of body composition manipulation where we're really at essential levels of body fat where we have you know essentially a high definition picture of all of your musculature inclusive of steroid glutes etc and that's really the um, the conditioning standard which we endeavor to bring uh, across the board with our athletes 
Yeah, and if anyone hasn't gone onto your page, which I will be linking at the bottom of this and uh, obviously on the rest of my socials, it's just, it, you can see everything. You can see every striation, every fiber in every part of the body. And that's really what body natural bodybuilding and, not, and bodybuilding in sen- essentially what it's all about. And how, how much sort of pushback do you get from your clients when they're getting to that stage and they're getting you know sub five percent body fat um do you get a lot of what what sort of comments and messages are you getting around that time from your from your competitors look i mean as i'm sure you can relate to you know uh getting to those low body fat percentiles is not necessarily a comfortable thing i dare say that i'm really blessed to work with a group of athletes that are really um you know, there to push it. And generally speaking, my services appeal to the people who are really uh, goal-orientated Hardcore. and people that have sort of, yeah, people that have sort of followed kind of what I do in my, and what I do with my athletes for, for some time, in which case when they when they get involved, generally speaking, they know to a degree what they're in for. But um, I think everyone manages a little bit differently, but regardless as to, to who you are or, or, or where your thought processes are, you do get to a point where things do get pretty challenging because it's not just general you know fat loss for health you know we're going well beyond that to the point of of it being really extreme so at those times yeah i think um that's where i think coaching becomes really in depth because it's not just about here's your training and nutrition it's about okay let's try and work with your mentality and really personalize what we're doing to ensure that we've got a system that's effective on paper but also effective in actuality in terms of affording you the capacity to adhere to it um for the adequate durations to derive that result so things get a lot obviously a lot more um in depth at that point yeah and that's that's one of the most important parts of the coaching because you can understand the the theory behind it all completely but it's just it's about put turning that into an art form into something you can address to your clients that's going to get them a little bit excited you know because it's that's i think a big part of it as well they need to feel really positive about the plan that they're looking at and at the same time giving them something that's actually evidence-based and going to push them in the direction that they want but it's finding that balance between the two and you get lucky with some physique and the guys that usually get to that incredible conditioning and you know just go really far with the sport it's the people that you can normally they almost get enjoyment out of not enjoying the program they get (laughs) they get enjoyment of it being just sickly hard and really challenging look i can definitely relate to certain aspects of that you know i I always say that the coaching is a science and art and the science is probably the simplistic part in that you know the science is knowing what variables you you can change from a training and nutrition perspective and what response that should induce you know the art is knowing what combination of variables to change and to what magnitudes to do that at what times for that specific individual because there is of course a lot of interpersonal variability and the you know and that's the, the sort of the, the the art in terms of um you know coaching and it's the emergence of those two facets that really create quality coaching and i think if you you know on the back end of, of what we we're talking about previously if you do want to be you know participate in our sport at a at a high level you do have to find some enjoyment in the suffering and i think that from a personal perspective i can definitely say that i enjoy doing things that perhaps other people not be able to do and um that's definitely a big part of the enjoyment for me and i think a, a lot of athletes do share that to some degree you know when you do this and you know that you put 110 percent into it left no stand unturned and really 
you know, push through some pretty crazy stuff from a psychological perspective in your training and, and adhering to your nutrition. You know, there's, there's a lot of satisfaction to be had coming out the other end of that, absolutely. It's so rewarding when you, no matter, even when you stand up there and you don't, even if you don't feel like you should be up there, you know, and some of the other physiques out there are incredible, when you personally know that you did everything you could and you left no stones unturned, that's that's where Absolutely. that's where you to get that love for it. So I guess one of the big things that I do want to talk about is how the people in your world of physique athletes, when they're going to be the ones that are messaging you, when you're going to be on those you're going to be on those video calls and trying to reassure them, how are they taking this right now? Yeah. So realistically, you know, the current situation definitely. Uh, is is an interesting one and obviously it's it's a global thing you know it doesn't matter where you are or who you are you know the uh the current situation is is having some level of effect in terms of one's activities of daily living and specific to you know physique athletes uh, the most challenging thing at the moment is obviously access to gyms so in australia we've recently had gyms closed us new zealand etc all in the same boat i think korea some of their gyms are still open so some athletes over there are still able to train in a sort of quote unquote normal fashion but probably the most challenging thing is that we're we've all been spoiled for quite some time i think with gyms in that you know we walk into the gym we've got all the equipment we need to train and train really effectively and the biggest thing i I put forward to my athletes is making sure we're refraining from an all or nothing approach from a psychological perspective in that a lot of people when they don't have access to the gym you know their thought process is well i can't do anything uh, at all whereas realistically it's not the case um, there's still things we can do and things we should be doing uh, within whatever equipment limitations we do have. And it's important that we do that uh, so that we're able to, at minimum, retain lean mass over this next stretch of time, or if you have the equipment availability, even progress over this next stretch of time. Yes, I love that. And yeah, do you personally think that should be people's goals right now are you telling them to shift their focus away from bodybuilding and turn it into something else or are you trying to get people to keep their eye on the prize for the next season and moving forward yeah i mean look the population i work with are bodybuilders so it's not likely that we're gonna all of a sudden overnight turn to crossfit athletes right so our goals are still bodybuilding orientated and obviously we just the goal here is uh simply creating optimality in terms of creating hypertrophy uh, specific stress within whatever equipment we do have and for the guys you know in terms of up and coming seasons you know my my recommendation for most individuals is to you know to assess uh, you know we just had season A the most recent season be cancelled which is really devastating the next season season B at the end of the year as to whether those shows go ahead or not is, is really up in the air but realistically when it comes to getting on stage, my advice is we get on stage when we can look 110% best. So for the majority of individuals, I'd recommend they kind of place their focus a little bit more longitudinally into sort of season A next year, which represents around this time in the coming year, uh, which means that, you know, I assume, not that I'm an infection control expert, by that point, we're going to have some some level of normalcy returning when it comes to daily life, etc. Yeah, hundred percent. That that makes perfect sense. And I think taking the long term approach for a lot of athletes should be the main should be the main concern. And one of those things that needs to be, I guess, spoken about. And I want to bring it up with you instead of some other things because I saw your um, one of your recent posts about um, immune function and some of the things that you were talking about. And I think you're so spot on. And they need to be said. I think some of them are quite. Um, 
they're a little bit basic and they're a little bit most people should be doing these things anyway but it does not hurt at all to say it out loud and reaffirm people that this is some of the things that are actually evidence-based and things we should be doing so if you could go into them man that would be fantastic yeah absolutely so obviously over this next stretch of time uh we can only can control what we can control and obviously health is is a really important commodity and within that we obviously want to ensure that we're you know, giving our body the tools it needs into, in order to maximize immunological function. And it's a, right now we're in a really interesting time where obviously, you know, everyone's trying to market whatever they can in terms of supplements, which is pretty standardized. But obviously we're seeing a lot of, a lot of things that are geared towards, you know, immunity, which I suppose to a degree is not a bad thing. However, there's no single supplement that's, that's, that's going to be uh, 100% effective in terms of boosting one's immunity. Rather, there are a few sort of uh, nutritive and environmental sort of components that we should be aware of. And I think these are all things that we can all adopt. So number one um, is energy availability, noting that uh, when we're going through extreme periods of low energy availability, as we probably do at the back end of a competition preparation, we know there's going to be some level of uh, immunosuppressive effects. So it's probably not the best idea to be extremely shredded. So, you know, if, you, if you're overweight, for example, and you're looking to diet off a few kilos for the sake of overall health, that's really not going to compromise immune function. That's totally fine. But I'm talking about if you've got six-pack abs right now and you want to take that down to striated glutes over the next few weeks, it's probably not a good time to do that. And then on a similar vein within that, we obviously need to ensure adequacy of protein. Proteins, you know, derived from the Latin word, uh, proteos of most importance. It's a very important macronutrient for a building block for essentially everything in the human body, and it's very integral to maintaining appropriate immune function. So we need. So before you, yeah, yeah before you move on there, do do you suggest people should increase their protein intake? Let's say someone was already in a sort of in a physique mindset, so they are having that sort of anywhere between one to two grams per uh, pound of body weight of protein already. Do you think people should play around with that, or should people stick that to where it is at the moment? Realistically, when it comes to protein intake, we're looking for adequacy. So um, proteins. When it comes to protein, say if we're looking at standardized uh, recommendation, government recommendations, you know, 0.8 grams per kilo, those those recommendations are probably just sufficient for, for a population that doesn't train. For the athletic population, you know, current evidence-based recommendations are somewhere in that realm, sort of two to two and a half grams per kilogram. And if you're eating that as, a, as an athletic population, you're going to be accumulating an adequate volume of protein um, for immune function. So... You know, additional protein on top of that, although it be likely uh, of no uh, dramatic harm, is probably of no further benefit when it comes to immune function. Great. Okay. Beautiful. And uh, I mean, look. Aside from that, there's some. There's definitely some uh, environmental factors uh, that we need to consider. Obviously, sleep being a really important piece, both sleep quantity and quality. And I think it's really important for people to realise now that that. Uh, most individuals have some changes to their general daily routine, which means there's obviously some change to their sleep patterns. Sometimes that can be a positive thing, but in most scenarios, I think when people don't have as much direction, they tend to sleep a little bit less. So it's important that we maintain some routine in that regard. So we're able to get the sleep quantity we need to recover and support immune function. And then I think something that people really tend to overlook is stress. So we know that, uh, that, that stress mm. can affect immune function and that stress is sort of uh, has multiple kind of genres so to speak 
in that we've got physical stress from training. Now, some stress from, in, from training from a training perspective is good, too much is not good. Then, of course, we've got psychological and environmental stress, all of which sort of collaboratively come together as sort of our, what we could call our stress load. So we want to make sure that we're not, uh, we don't have, not placing, you know, our stress load is not too high because that again can, can have an effect in terms of immunological function. So if you're in your training, for example, you probably don't want to be going into a big overreaching phase right now. I'd say, okay, you know, let's continue to train. And if we have the equipment to do so, let's train progressively. Um, but let's just be aware of, you know, limiting, overreaching slash overtraining. And obviously right now, I think for a lot of people, it's a pretty stressful time from a psychological perspective as well. So obviously managing that when and where possible will further contribute to uh, to an ideal immune, immunological function. Yeah, beautiful. Um, when you're, obviously you would be working with, for, with athletes that have a pretty high stress load or they're able to manage a lot of their stress no matter how high it gets. Um, so what are, some, what are some symptoms, what are some things people should be looking for if, they, if their stress is too high and could be, I guess, affecting their immune function? Yeah, I mean, look, that's always, it's, a, it's definitely a challenging point to sort of quantify. Uh, within my coaching, there's some generalized questions that I'll, I'll, I'll throw out. But I generally look at, I keep my focus predominantly on, on training. So, um, you know, when it comes to training, we, we would look at, you know, if, we've, if we're really regressing in a lot of our movements over time, over, you know, longer than a couple week period, that's, that's a sign, obviously, of under recovery. I'd also assess sleep. So, of course, as I mentioned before, getting an appropriate amount of sleep is an important piece for immune function, but a decrease in sleep quantity and quality can also be a secondary sign of an increase in sympathetic drive. So, if one's sleep is really suffering, they got, you know, which is really atypical for them, for example, that might be an indication that they're not uh, managing their stress load overly well. Uh, and there's some other secondary signs which you can kind of lean on in terms of um, overall mood as well, noting that when we're really stressed, we're usually a bit more on edge. Um, so, you know, collaboratively, we can kind of use these points of assessment to, to uh, make a logical assumption as to whether someone's recovering or not, or under recovering, and obviously make some generalized recommendations in terms of what we can do regarding managing stress. Yeah, 100%. So in sort of to sum it all up, we're talking energy availability. So we shouldn't be too deep into a cut or we shouldn't be losing too much weight right now. Is there, would you have a specific number on there? It's just more about don't be aggressively losing weight at this time if you're already shredded. Yeah. I mean, look, that's about as general as I'd be in this scenario. Uh, so like I said, a good example would be if, you know, if you're going from six pack abs to, and you want to go to absolutely peeled glutes, you know, that... That last few kilos of fat mass is usually where, as you've experienced in the past in prep yourself, where your body starts to fight you in terms of down-regulating certain systems to to maximize your survival capability. So it's those that scenario there where we're going from lean to very lean, where we probably want to kind of uh, refrain from being at this current point in time. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that you didn't touch too much on was the micronutrient side of things. So would you, is, are you saying eat more energy dense foods like fruits and veggies would be the better way to go? Is so, Should everyone be taking a multivitamin at this time just as a personal recommendation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So micronutrients, obviously vitamins and minerals are, are very important for essentially uh, all processes within the, within the human body. And it's really integral to immune function that obviously we're accumulating an appropriate volume of micronutrients and diversity 
within that. So I would say, look, a food first approach is always going to be best when it comes to promoting sufficiency in vitamins and, and mineral intake. So generalized recommendation would be to ensure that the majority of your diet, let's say about 80, 90% or more for that matter, is uh, comprised of minimally processed food selections. So obviously, you know, uh, fruit, vegetable, meat products, dairy, etc. And in doing that, we should uh, intake sufficiency when it comes to vitamins and minerals. Um, and, you know, we can look at supplementation as a means of sort of ensuring sufficiency, like a multivitamin. However, what I advise people to do is refrain from mega dosing. You know, vitamins and minerals are, you know, within, within vitamins and minerals, essentially some is good, more is better, too much is not good. Um, if you're eating, accumulating your micronutrient needs through foods, it's unlikely you're going to reach a point of toxicity. But if you're taking, you know, three multivitamins and then all of a sudden you're going to take, you know, double doses of vitamin K and then, you know, 4,000 milligrams of vitamin C, that's mega dosing. And that can actually be harmful. Um, so I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't go out of my way to recommend that. But a general multivitamin, not a bad idea. You know, low dose vitamin C, um, you know, vitamin C these days comes in really high doses, generally speaking. You can get 1,000 milligram vitamin C tabs, which is just really high. Uh, but, you know, a low dose, maybe 500 milligrams, maybe good insurance. But even on that side of things, supplemental vitamin C when it comes to immune function, the, the evidence is quite equivocal in that regard as well. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so much, so much information there. I love it, man. Now, one of the things that I think is going to be super important in this time for people is to continue to feel good while they're training, losing that place where you actually set aside and take your gym bag and take your pre-workout and do all these things and jump into the gym. Um, all of that's essentially been stripped away. And for a lot of people, they just essentially have to move off the couch into a separate room or sometimes in the same room. And that can be quite challenging to get that same motivation. So I want to talk about ways that we can optimize our workouts during this time, how we can feel our best, um, where should we put sort of caffeine, is there, let's talk about some things we can make our workouts actually feel really good, get a good pump and act like nothing's changed. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think right now, you know, overall motivation for, for some people is a little bit lower than usual and it's lower than usual for a couple of reasons. One is because we don't have access to that sort of purpose-built equipment that allows us maximal progress. So a lot of people look at minimalistic equipment training, kind of scrunch it up at a ball and chuck it in the bin like, ah, it's not effective. Whereas realistically, it can be effective. And if that's what we have available at this time, then that represents a maximally effective training stress. In addition to that, you know, uncertainty with shows can be a bit of a, uh, you know, a, a point that contributes to less motivation. And then lastly, as you mentioned, is obviously your training environment, because usually we go to the gym with the specific intention of to train and the you know, and the environment demands you train hard. There's other people around you getting after it. Um, you know, whereas when you're at home, it's your place of rest, relaxation, and now all of a sudden training. So it can be hard to kind of switch on in terms of digging into that performance-based mentality. So I think that, you know, compartmentalizing your home from a psychological perspective is good. Um, and if you can physically compartmentalize it, that's even better. So in my house, for example, uh, my partner and I work predominantly from home and we essentially have three sections in our household right now. So we've got like our office, which is walk in there, it's work. We walk down our two stairs, that's home, and we walk into the garage and that's um, that's training. Now, obviously, most people don't have that, uh, may not have that sort of, you know, that physical capacity to sort of separate. You know, if you're, if you're living in an apartment, it's like, well, your living room's your gym now as well. So 
in that scenario, you've really got to work with your your, psych, your psychology in terms of going, okay, cool, I'm going to switch on for this time. And I think that you know, we try to create as much routine as we can within this time, which is obviously quite dissimilar to usual. And I would say, okay, this duration is your training time. Therefore, you can switch on for training. You're not, you know, I don't know, uh, sweeping the floors in between sets or something like that. You need to set aside your own training time uh, specifically so you can you can focus solely on that yeah 100 percent. and that's that's one of the things that i'm trying to talk about a little bit more as well is sort of like you said we need to find a way where we can create that association so for you every time you step into that garage you're in you're in training yeah. mind you're in you know that's you're all about getting better and there's other ways to do that it doesn't have to be a physical location separation but it can be you know just continuing to having like a black coffee half an hour before your training and once you do that and you get on your gym clothes you know actively change the clothes that you're wearing um put in your headphones drink out of your normal shaker these things can create these little associations that's going to make it feel a lot better and making it feel better is one of the first things it's going to have to take to create some sort of normal definitely you know like i would put my headphones on exactly like i would in the gym you know um i play i play my workout <laughs> playlist as, as well you know i'm trying to create some whatever normalcy i have uh you know i'm trying to transfer over to to training and i'd recommend my athletes do exactly the same thing you know if they have a trademark pre-workout meal they go to okay cool let's keep that in place you know there's a lot of change to routine yeah, that, that's good and change but let's try and keep some normal kind of groove in in place if you know that you train best between you know these hours and that's the hours you usually train at well even if you've got more time on your hands can we try and keep that consistency in place you know bodybuilders thrive off routine it's it's essentially the art of doing the same thing over and over again and that in itself, having such a shift to routine right now is something that a lot of people struggle with as well. So just trying to create some some level of structure within that and allotting that training time. Yeah, for sure. The structure and the routine is everything at this point. And it's essentially all we have because, you know, people are going to be limited with uh, exercises they can do and the amount of progression they can do. So just getting something done each day to keep that routine. So if slash when the gyms do open back up, no matter how long it comes, people are ready to crush it. That's really what I'm after. 100%. Like, I dare say that uh, when the gyms reopen, it's going to be an exercise in gratitude because we never could have conceptualized that something closes down every single gym in australia let alone pretty much everything in the world so i tell you what i'll i'll definitely uh have a newfound gratitude for every piece of equipment in that in in the facility and uh, i'll be using it to to a maximum degree (laughs) for sure that's going to be a great first couple of workouts i'm super excited for it now how let's let's talk about pump let's talk about how we can at home using resistance bands a little bit lighter dumbbells how can we achieve a pump is the pump important during these times what should we consider there how can we make it happen yeah all right so obviously um you know everyone's got varied levels of equipment uh for most people you know resistance bands are probably the go-to tool and i would say that's fantastic you know we're, we're we basically take whatever tools you have, whether it's your resistance band, a keg of water, a couple of dumbbells, etc. Of course, you want to apply it in the most effective manner possible. So the number one thing I'd put forward here is that uh, relative intensity is going to be the most important determiner as to whether you reach a threshold that's conducive to hypertrophy. So 
real, what, what I'm getting at here is we need to train hard with whatever weight we have, even if it requires us to do 20 or 30 repetitions to get close to that point of volitional fatigue. So the biggest thing that might, the, the, the biggest rate learning factor for most people training at home is that we don't have a whole lot of external resistance. We don't have a lot of weight. Even if we have weights, we don't have a lot of it. So high volume training, uh, in addition to that, you know, minimizing rest at home if you lack weight is going to be a good means of accumulating uh, or capitalizing on metabolic stress, which is essentially one of the three components which is noted to induce hypertrophy. Yeah, man, let's 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 talk about that for a quick second. So that, that's where I think a lot of people get stuck here because everyone has been told this notion that progressive overload is the only way to train. Progressive overload is the only way to grow. But there are a few other ways out there that can create some some great effects on your physique, and they're not really spoken about as much. So can we talk about that? Um, the mechanical tension side of things and the metabolic stress. Yeah, sure, sure. So I mean, look, I mean, look. Over time, if we want to induce further adaptation, we need to create an increase of stress over time, and that's by definition is overload. But there are different mean, there are many different ways to induce overload. I think, and, and we need to kind of think about outside of the box a little bit here. So, I mean, just to sort of take it one step back, uh, essentially, there's there's three components or three three noted means of inducing hypertrophy. One is through mechanical tension, which is kind of the bread and butter that we that we uh, point that we capitalize on the gym. Um, and that obviously refers to, to putting tension through tissue. So load time acceleration equals tension. And generally speaking, we accumulate most of our volume in the gym in sort of the rep ranges of, oh, let's say between sort of eight and, and 12. Um, I say the majority, sometimes a bit above and below, but that sort of realm is where we spend most of our time because it represents an efficient means of accumulating a robust hypertrophy response. Um, then of course we have metabolic stress. That refers to obviously purposely pulling metabolic byproducts in the area. This would be things like you know high volume short rest training or occlusion training, and then of course we have muscle damage, which is sort of a byproduct of those two previously mentioned um, uh, facets or components. Now mechanical tension, you know, capitalizing on that in a home gym scenario, unless you got some, if you got decent weight, of course, yes. But if you're in a part in an apartment and you've only got bands, for example, it's probably a, a challenging point. The, th- the the main component we're going to be capitalizing on in this next stretch of time is metabolic stress. So doing a lot of volume, keeping our rest possibly a little bit shorter. And in terms of inducing an overload stress, you know, over time, well, let's say for example, if you're getting more work done in a shorter t- amount of time, so, you know, you're, you're doing, uh, the last week the rest was 60 seconds, this week the rest is 45 seconds. Well, that's actually an increase in in stress because the density is higher in terms of workload or if you're doing more repetitions uh, that's also a form of overload or additional sets from previous that's a form of overload so there's still ways we can overload um, even with with minimal equipment um, if that makes sense but I think for most I think for most people as well the problem is is that just before because the gym's closed so suddenly people's volume uh, how much volume they're actually able to take in and use for growth is so high that coming down and using resistance bands and light dumbbells there's just no shape way or form to create that overload as to what they would yeah look it's definitely not going to be the same i think probably the like i was saying about refraining from an all or nothing mentality is you got to think of it like this you know i kind of approach minimalistic training in a similar way 
from a psychological perspective than I would approach training uh, an injured athlete. Um, so bear with me as I, as I mm. explain this. So if I had an injured athlete, I would say you can't argue optimal when injured. Now someone's got a sore back, you know, and they can't deadlift. So it's like, well, that's not an option. So you can't argue optimal when injured. You know, optimality for that individual is doing what they can whilst working around that injury. And on a similar vein, right now, you know, it's optimal for us to step into a gym, have access to dumbbells, barbells, and specialty equipment that allows us to load target tissues. But if you don't have access to that, what's optimal for you right now? Well, optimal for you right now is taking whatever equipment you do have and using it to maximal effect. So, you know, you, you take your bands and you, with bands, I think people don't give enough credit to bands in that you you can do essentially every single movement you conventionally do with dumbbells or with a machine, but with a band. Uh, you may just have to do mm-hmm. more repetitions of it and, you know, to accumulate a hypertrophy stress. And I will say that it probably doesn't tear you down as much from a recovery perspective, so you can probably do more frequency on it as well. So if you usually train tissues twice a week, um, you know, let's say you train five days a week and you train everything twice, maybe look at bumping the the weekly training frequency up to three times per week, because you'll be able to manage it uh, from a recovery perspective with utilizing higher volume training. So true and yeah, super important for people to understand that there's a hundred different ways to progress the body, progress and keep the stimulus on the muscles that you're trying to keep. Um, no one no one during this time really has the excuse to regress. It's going to happen if they don't pay attention and they're not self-aware and you know they stop creating some of these habits for themselves. But essentially there is a million ways. There's people that are you know, do just body weight stuff and don't have any bands whatsoever, but just find ways to progress themselves through difficulty of exercise, like changing push-up variations, pull-up variations, um, even planks, crunches, and making them harder for themselves in whatever way that is for them, you know, is just as important as, I, I think people can see great, great progress through doing just Absolutely. those Absolutely, you know, there's this, there's definitely progress to be, you know, the, you can definitely retain at least or potentially progress in minimal minimal training, uh, sorry, minimal equipment training. Another thing I'll put forward is, you know, when it comes to retaining muscle, you'd be surprised in that you need a lot of volume to grow. You don't need a lot of volume to maintain, provided you're in a eucaloric environment. And obviously you need a lot of volume to maintain mm. if you're in a hypocaloric environment. So retaining muscle with bands is 100% doable. Um, if you've got strong enough bands, you may be able to make some progress you know, in the interim due to just it simply being novel stress. We're taking advantage of a different force curve and of course, probably vastly different um, loading parameters in terms of, um, you know, per set volumes than what you're used to. So that's a novel stress. Um, And I think something else to consider there is that I think there's going to be a lot of people out there that maybe don't really understand the full the full thing of you know how our glycogen is taken up by the muscle and you feel nice and full when you're training and you're eating lots and then your habits change and you're not giving that same amount of volume and sometimes you become a little bit flat but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are losing muscle where it just means that you know the fullness of that muscle is going down but once normality comes in and once you resume your normal training and you're eating right and everything goes back to normal you'll find that you'd look better than ever and you're going to feel like you made crazy gains very quickly but as a matter of fact it's just a matter of your body re-uptaking these nutrients that you're giving yeah to a degree absolutely yeah for sure now 
one thing, another thing that I really want to touch on with you is, I guess, the mindset that it takes to become a natural pro bodybuilder. Because I think there's a lot of people that are on this road and it almost feels impossible when you jump up on stage you see some people out there that are just like genetically blessed they put in all this hard work and you're standing up next to them and you're like wow like is that possible so can anyone be a natural bodybuilder does how much does genetics play into it what what can someone do to sort of get there? I think this is a great question and you know one of the things i love about bodybuilding is it does appeal to quite a large genetic audience probably larger than any other sport so for example you know if, if you're 165 centimeters tall um, I'd probably be lying to you if I said, yep, I'm going to make you the best basketballer in the world, right? Your genetics just don't allow for it. Mm. It's just, it's just simply the great thing about bodybuilding is whether you're short or tall or whatever, you can, you know, you can create a bodybuilder. There's no doubt that genetics do play a role to a degree in that, you know, if you're, uh, of a, of a, if you're super tall, it's probably a bit more challenging to fill that rig out. And obviously there's muscle architecture that comes into play. And there is uh, some interpersonal variability when it comes to one's um, sort of capacity to grow. So some people, you know, they, 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 they tend to grow a little bit easier than others. But I dare say that anyone can become a physique athlete. Um, I think probably the, the, the biggest limiting point for most, I think the limiting point for most people is one, education. Two is mentality because you you really mm. have to go to, to a pretty interesting place from a psychological perspective to really be in a, to be able to push your body consistently training from a training perspective for the durations you need to make that progress and then obviously to diet to those levels. Um, yeah, and that self-doubt side of things as well. Do you do you struggle with that? Is the mental aspect been a hard thing for you, or have you found a little process that just makes it very routine? I think look, I think the number one thing when it comes to self-doubt is to make sure that your your reasons for participating in the sport are central. Um, you know, I can tell you this: like when I first started in the sport, I felt no pressure whatsoever. The reason being is that you know I was only doing this to see what I could do with my piece of canvas, my body, and I think that um, that's an important way to start your bodybuilding career. I mean, I can say that, yes, I had more pressure on myself uh, once I turned pro because people were looking at you going, okay, what are you going to do this time, man? Um, but regardless, I think it's important to make sure you know, you're keeping that, that goal uh, center, central and you're doing it for you as opposed to doing it for, um, and I think it's you know, for, for anything else or anyone else. I will say, yes, it's, it's good to have goals in terms of where you want to place. But I think the hard thing with bodybuilding is, is it is a subjective sport and it's not, you know, your placings are, the, are a representation of, you know, three to six people's opinions of what is an ideal physique. So really keeping that focus on yourself can really uh, help with, um, you know, limiting self-doubt. I think, I will say though, I think it's normal when you're in the back end of a preparation to get to a point where you're like, is this all worth it? Oh my God, this is hard. But um, mm. again, just keeping your, your reasons for doing this really central and really highlighting the small wins you're making along the way in terms of personal progressions is important. Absolutely. And how much of all of that do you think applies to 
I don't want to say general population, but I'm talking about anyone that I guess struggles with body image and the way that they look at themselves. And, you know, especially this time where I think a lot of people this is something that I've been saying a lot is like when you're sitting down and you're watching Netflix and you haven't done any of your training for the day and you know that there's going to be no specific time for you to do that training, you start to feel like it's a feeling of being fat like you feel it's a it's a weird emotion you feel of like this guilt of not training and this guilt of feeling like you shouldn't be doing what you're doing even though when your routine was normal it felt completely normal how how important or how much can we take some of that mindset and give it to people that uh struggle yeah, look, I, mean, I think body image is is like a, it's a really big can of worms um and i would i dare say that that bodybuilding uh it, it probably attracts a population that that uh, are really aware of their body image and, and I, could, I could probably say it nearly breeds issues with body image. But I, I think when it comes to generalized, <laughs> your, your, your perceptions of your physique, you know, in real time, there's definitely an emotional um, point that's bound to that. Um, and it can be hard to manage, but I dare say that when it's you know, specific to bodybuilding, um, you know, if, if someone's in competition prep, I would say, okay, this is where you need someone else to assess your physique because, you know, you lose that, capacity to be objective and obviously specific to general population um i mean look it it, it can be a a challenging point because as mentioned there is going to be an emotional uh, a, you know component as to the way you perceive yourself um yeah and also i think one thing that one of the biggest disconnects between the two when is the time and the patience of it. Um, there's not a lot of people that are losing, looking to drop a little bit of weight or just lose a little bit around the stomach and having that sort of terminology are uh, willing to put in the 6, 12, 18, three plus years like you did in your off season to create the physique that's in their mind. They think that as soon as their mindset changes and as soon as they're motivated, that the body should come with that. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, setting realistic goals is an important piece. Uh, and I think that's where the jobs of, you know, people like you and I come in as coaches, you know, in terms of guiding people is to sort of go, okay, cool. This is what's possible. Um, great. If that's your goal, this is what's involved. Are you willing to do that? Can you do that? Let's rock and roll. So, um, yeah, definitely. It's, it's a, it's a timely process, but if, if you, from a bodybuilder's perspective, you know, if you enjoy that process, then it's a hundred percent worth it. Beautiful, man. And look, before we wrap up and we find out how people can find you and work with you, tell me more about how some of the things that you're doing to stay sane during this time. Do you have any daily habits? Were you training out of your home gym before this? What are you doing to keep yourself sane? <laughs> well, look, I dare say, um, you know, my sanity, you know, part, part of what keeps me sane is really is really working with my athletes. Obviously, I'm, I'm very passionate about sport and bodybuilding, and I know that the group of people I work with are equally passionate about it. At the moment, I'm spending a lot more time working with these guys in terms of uh, just, you know, coaching them through various aspects of, of, you know, the current challenges, et cetera. And I dare say that does keep me sane uh, as it's such a big focus point in my life. And then training-wise, you know, training is, is, is a massive point of enjoyment uh, for myself, both in terms of the, like I said, the, the progress it induces, but also as a the actual action of, Participating in training is such an awesome thing. And I, I will say that I am pretty blessed that I do have a fair amount of equipment available to me at home. Um, some of this I purchased recently, some that I own, and some of it I actually leased from a couple of gyms that are closed down. 
um, which obviously supports them for reopening when they when they are uh, you know when all this this side of things is is lifted. And um, so yeah, I have a, a routine that I, I have in place uh, within that, and um, yeah, I do my best. Obviously, stick with, stick to that, and yeah, it's. I think a challenging thing for a lot of people is, is just the, the socialization thing. And I think that's where probably my side of things, it, I, I'm in good shape in that regard in that what I do for work is very social, um, even if it is on an online basis. But it's, yeah, it's definitely an interesting time and it presents its challenges. But staying routined and um, having the having a space to, to vent my negative energy in terms of lifting some weight is definitely a positive piece. Yeah, and how important when you've been taking these um, phone calls slash video calls with your clients, um, how important has that been to them? Because I know from me personally, just taking that time to do a video call, FaceTime, whatever it is that they um, need, it's just sort of like changed their perspective almost completely. Have you found the same? Yeah, I mean, look, I can't, I can't speak on behalf of every single athlete, but I dare say, um, you know, over this time, it's, it's it, you know, it's definitely uh, I've definitely experienced a, a lot of appreciation for for, for uh, you know the work mm. we're doing, which is really great, you know, because we're all we're all in this together, and um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting time. Very interesting time. Tell us more about how you're still delivering value at the moment. Where can people find you if they were looking to compete in um, following seasons? <laughs> Not a problem. Yes, so you can definitely find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is just Brandon Kempter, uh, and obviously that's essentially uh, that's essentially my resume. Have a scroll, have a have a look at uh, what we do. I've also there's also a link to my website there. Um, you can find me on there. Obviously, we have our applications on there also. Um, in which case, we're basically taking applications for when gyms reopen, etc. Um, you know, for the up and coming seasons. Yeah, for sure. And for anyone, like I said before, I'll put all those links down in the description. But if you haven't checked out his Instagram page, it's incredible. You can see some how he looked when he took out the wins for RCN Pros. Um, it's all there. He puts out a lot of information as well on just anything to do physique related and mindset related. It's absolutely fantastic. So, Brandon, thank you so much for jumping on board here. Um, it's been an absolute and pleasure to have you so on. Thank you so much, Carl, for having me. It's super appreciated. And um, I hope the listeners uh, have got a few golden nuggets uh, of uh, practical knowledge over this conversation. 100%. Thanks so much, man. We'll uh, definitely Thank have to you. do this Absolutely. again. Absolutely. All right. You Thanks, too. mate.